Good morning, Walton Creek Press. My name is Adam Wood. And I'm Bree Wood. I've been coming to this church since 1998. And I started attending this past spring. So we were asked to share um, about new beginnings that are happening in our lives. And we have a couple exciting ones to share with you. Uh, the first is that on June 4th, we got married. Officially, it was a very fun celebration. We got the rings to prove it. And uh, we went to Cabo for the honeymoon, which was a great time. And then the Tuesday uh, after we got back, we had, a friend of ours um, came over to our house. We have a Bible study that comes over on Tuesday nights. And they shared that they felt that the word acceleration was a word that God was proclaiming over our lives. That word uh, resonated a lot with us as brand spanking newly married uh, couple. And um, so hit the nail on the head there. Uh, but little did we know. We actually have another new beginning due February 28th. We're, We're pregnant. pregnant. Prayers are being answered and our faith is growing in very practical ways right now. God is providing grace for us to accelerate into these two new beginnings of marriage and parenthood, both with excitement and expectancy. And now a reading from God's word. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And John 1.9-13 says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of the Lord. There we go. Isn't that a great start? Well, okay, so my name is Mary Negley. I'm a pastor in residence here at Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church. The sound guy today is my husband, Andy, back there. And uh, <laughs> um, as I was saying, the, the topic today is the relationship between the church and the world. And, and I don't know about you, but it, we kind of talk a lot about that a lot here, and so the question is, what am I going to add to what we have been saying for uh, ever about our relationship uh, to the world? And so I'm just going to own this and say I take things from a theological, biblical perspective, and so I'm going to teach you a little theology today. So hang on, I've already broken my first rule of preaching, which, to, which is to never use an ology word in a sermon but theology is we talk about God we talk about Jesus and we talk about what that means for us in everyday life so to start this deep subject I'm going to tell you about an experience that Andy and I had just two weeks ago yesterday we were in Albuquerque for the International Balloon Fiesta it was the 50th anniversary and we got up at four in the morning so that we could be there on the let's show uh, picture here, uh, we could be on the ground, a, a field, 78 football fields big, 500 balloons get laid out flat on the ground, they each have their grid square, there's a big map, and what happens is that in order for those 500 balloons to go aloft, they've got to get filled with air. So a crew gets together, they lift up the opening, the envelope, uh, and blow regular air into it. 
and it just sort of fluffs up there on the side, um, and you can see the gondola is um, attached with ropes, and then um, once, once there's regular air kind of fluffing up this balloon, then the burners are turned on, and it heats the air, and gradually this great big balloon starts to lift, right? Because hot air rises. And then when everybody's gotten into the gondola, we weren't one of those, that would have been cool, uh, and they untether the basket from the ground, then the burners turn on even more and the, uh, the balloon lifts up into the air. It's a very, very exciting and wonderful sight to see. Well, <clears throat> I look at this, it's just so awe-inspiring, I think. There's a sermon illustration in there somewhere. That's the way I think. Um, and lots of ideas come to mind. Not that Christians are full of hot air, you understand. <laughs> but only that the difference between the air inside a balloon and outside it, it's, not, it's the same air, but the air inside the balloon has been warmed, has been heated, and that's the way it is with us. We are in this world breathing the same air. And yet what makes us different and distinct in this world is that we have the spirit of God, which, by the way, the word spirit, ruach in Hebrew, pneuma in uh, Greek, is the word for breathing, for breath. We have that spirit of God within us to help us to stand upright and uh, gain perspective on the world in which we live. So this illustration is a picture of what it's like to be a Christian in the world where there are two forces at work. The first force is gravity, which pulls us downward, and that's likened to the forces of this world holding us earthbound. But then there's heat, and that's, that lifts us up, and the Holy Spirit warming our hearts in, uh, to, as, as part of God's world. Now, the first chapter of John is the great introduction to a concept that's central to the Christian faith when we talk about church and world. And that central belief is what we call the incarnation. That means the incarnation is Jesus, the word become flesh. Or as the Apostle Paul put it later, Christ emptying himself to take on human form. Jesus left his world to enter our own, relinquishing the prerogatives of heaven in order to fully identify with us his creation. Jesus came as a particular person. He didn't come as an amorphous blob. He came as a particular man in a sense, it was a condescension for him to divest himself of his privileges and locate himself within one person, Jesus of Nazareth, a Jewish male from the human line of King David, born somewhere between 4 and 2 BC in Bethlehem, to an Aramaic-speaking family that was poor. That's about as lowly as a person could get in those days. And yet... Despite that lowliness, that earthiness of Jesus' coming and his existence, 
from an early age, as we see evident in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was aware that he was something other than just a human boy, that he was also God's son, and he was here on a mission. Uh, Remember when he was 12 and his family went down to Jerusalem from Nazareth for a big feast, and there's a big crowd and caravans and all that, and mom and dad end up going north again and realize Jesus isn't with them. They freak out, where's our son? They go looking all over for him, go back to Jerusalem. Where do they find him? But in the temple, teaching. And what does Jesus, at age 12, now say to his parents? Oh, didn't you know that I'm supposed to be about my father's business? So from a very young age, Jesus was aware that he had a calling that rose above what would be considered normal for someone his age. He understood that he had his feet in two different worlds, what I'm calling this world and his father's world. We too, in contemporary Western culture, find ourselves also torn between two worlds. There's this world full of frustrations that humanity has experienced since the fall. We have to work hard. We overcome weeds. We suffer sickness and death. It just seems sometimes like it's always an uphill battle. Not to mention all the situations around the globe that are dark and violent, catastrophic and evil. This world fundamentally is opposed to the positive, grace-filled, life-giving purposes of God. But as Christians, we are also aware that another world exists, designed and empowered by God. We have been making reference to it in worship prior to this moment. This is called the kingdom of God, where everything works according to its divine design. That world, energized and sustained by the Spirit of God, that, you know, that hot air of the Spirit, is characterized by wholeness, confidence, forgiveness, and faithfulness. So those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, our task and the mission of the church is to learn how to live in both worlds. For this, we need only look to Jesus to see how he did it. And I'll just give you a a hint at the start. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was, regardless of where he was. And where we find Jesus throughout the Gospels surprised some of the people he was teaching and may surprise us as well. Okay, with that as an introduction, let's look at today's text. The word John uses throughout his Gospel for world is world is cosmos. It's the same word regardless of its meaning, but he uses it in reference both to the world as God created it, as well as to the world we now experience in all its brokenness and pain. So to delineate those two meanings, I'm going to refer to this world, gravity, and God's world, or the world, as two distinct things. And with this differentiation in mind then here's today's text again the true light 
which enlightens everyone, was coming into this world. He, the Word, was in the world, that is the whole world, the glorious and the depraved together, and that world, all of God's creation, came into being through him. So Jesus was an agent in the process of creation. And yet, this world did not know him or recognize him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. There's something so melancholy in this observation John makes. After all the effort God put forward to reconcile with humanity, I mean, he sent his son, Jesus, in the flesh, great effort. For all of that, his own people did not recognize him. He was there at their creation. He had known them from the beginning, and yet somehow that bond had been broken. There's an intimate relationship between creation, creator, and creation. If you make something yourself, you have a closer tie to it. I think of our daughter Judy, who gave birth this last summer to a baby boy. Lyle turns three months old this week, and you bet he recognizes the voices of his mom and dad. He's comforted by their heartbeats against his skin. He knows their breathing and is reassured by their presence, and he knows where his food comes from. Now imagine your heartbreak if the baby you brought into the world didn't recognize you, or worse, rejected you. Some of us have had this experience of our babies later in life doing so. This is the grief and sorrow Jesus carried, that his own people, the Jews of his time, could not recognize him as the Son of God. Instead, they harassed him, they opposed his teaching, they eventually called him a blasphemer because his claims to deity were, frankly, preposterous. But what did Jesus do then in that situation? Did he hide out in a hole and wait for his moment to come? No, he immersed himself in this world, pressed on every side by people needing a healing touch, scrutinizing his every word, crying out for attention, and witnessing things that were hopeful signs of another reality. He was also, by the way, tempted by Satan in this desert to divert his impact here on earth. Evil wanted Jesus to forsake his spiritual mission and stick to, dis to uh, dispensing comforts. But, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Evil wanted Jesus to worship it in exchange for this worldly power. But Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus would not be owned by the evil one. These tests gave Jesus a chance to demonstrate who he was and whose he was, where he was in the desert, confronted by evil itself. Jesus' encounter with Satan offers us insight into the question, how can we then live in both worlds, this world and God's world? What is our relationship to the world? Over the millennia, uh, answers have revolved around four prepositions. 
in the world, of the world, to the world, or for the world. So let's think about those four possibilities for the church in light of how Jesus navigated some of the same challenges in his lifetime. So first of all, is the church in the world? Well, yeah. Where else are we? Right? We're here. And I'm not just talking about the building. I'm talking about us. We are earthbound, bound by gravity. We live, breathe, and have our being in the world. But we're tempted to isolate, especially after watching the news. We want to flee. We want to bury our heads in the sand. We don't want to be a part of the ugliness that we see around us. Well, what did Jesus do? He, he did not avoid trouble, but Jesus went headlong into it. He approached it in order to avert it. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors and outcasts. He spent time with people nobody else would. And at the end of his ministry, he prayed for us this way. As he's getting ready to go, he prays to his father in John 17, Father, I do not ask that you take them, my followers, out of this world, but I ask that you would protect them within it. So we, the church of Jesus Christ, are in the world, protected by God, but we're here. Okay, is the church, are Christians of this world? No. That is, does our lifeline come from the world? You know, people of the world derive their power and identity from human and natural structures. These are finite sources we soon discover. Jesus knew that if he was going to be effective in this world, he was going to have to draw strength from a higher source. He was drawing upon God's breath. Every so often, he would retreat from the madding crowd, just like our session and pastor are off on retreat this weekend. Jesus would retreat and spend the night in prayer and communion with his heavenly father, and then next morning, hit it and go uh, on with renewed energy. This world drained him, in a sense. But his power to keep going came from somewhere else. He would say that we are in this world, but not of it, and sent his disciples to be in this world for a purpose, but to understand that they had a vision beyond this world that empowered them and sustained them. All right, so in this world, of this world. Third one, do we belong to the world? Oh, no, no, no. We do not belong to the world. Are we owned by it? No. Does the world have something on us with which to blackmail us before God? Actually not, because Jesus is our advocate before the God's judgment. Have we sold our souls in order to gain wealth, influence, or satisfaction? Have we taken the Faustian bargain? This was the thrust of evil's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, you understand. And Jesus was secure in his resistance. He reassures us in this passage that if we receive him and believe in him, then we know that we are children of God, born by God's power 
empowered by God. And we therefore can withstand some such temptation by knowing whose we are. And if there's any doubt, you know, in the Old Testament, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We are the Lord's, not the world's. And Paul, in the New Testament, flat out stated, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And he, he goes on in that passage in 1 Corinthians 6 to say, we house the Holy Spirit and therefore we belong to him. So while we belong in this world, we don't belong to it. We are not beholden to it. The world is not our master. The world's values do not dictate what the church does and says. This is a very relevant statement. Okay, so the last of the four. Are we for this world or are we against this world? Now, this is an interesting question. While we grapple with elements of the world that stand against God, we are in fact called to be for the world by renewing our commitment to the tasks that were given to Adam and Eve in the garden at the very beginning. Following the command or the, the commissioning of God, Adam and Eve lived for the good of the world by tending it, stewarding its resources, exploring it, enjoying it. This gives us guidance for our relationship with the world today. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, whose husband was martyred uh, in South America as a missionary, said this. She said, we want to avoid suffering, death, sin, ashes, all of that, but we live in a world crushed and broken and torn, a world God himself visited to redeem. We receive his poured out life and being allowed the high privilege of suffering with him May we then pour out ourselves for others. So being for the world means giving ourselves for the world. It's a sacrificial love for the world. And some examples of how we do this are caring for the earth, caring for creation. Uh, it's a godly thing to learn how to grow food sustainably, to take care of the earth's ecology, to seek balance between use and preservation. Those are, that's godly stewardship and husbandry of the world God gave us. But also, we are agents of healing to the sick, to the addicted, to the mentally ill, to the alienated. We are people who bring hope in despair because we have hope within us. We bring light in darkness because the light of Christ resides in us. We bring love in hostile situations because the love of Christ has transformed us. We give wisdom in problem solving and presence to the abandoned because Jesus came here and remains here in us. We are not passive consumers of blessing, but proactive servants of God to bring justice and hope and redemption to the world. If we know who we are, that is, children of our Heavenly Father by virtue of our adoption through Jesus Christ, and if we know whose we are, then wherever we are, 
the light of Jesus will naturally be present and visible. Our lives, believe it or not, look different than other lives, and the result of our labor are consistent with the values of the kingdom of God. That is the way it is because of who we are, whose we are, and where we are. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dallas Willard, who said that the enemy of our time is passivity. The idea that God has done everything and we're here to consume the grace of God. This attitude, he says, accounts for the withdrawal of active Christians from so many areas of life where they should be present. Now, historically, Christians have been present where no one else was willing to go. And this is why around the world there have been hospitals set up and schools established and uh, missions to rural areas have been done among, and, and then ministries among the sick and the mentally ill. So historically, the church has in fact done that. It's Christians in Cairo, Egypt who run the city dump, this massive, massive enterprise uh, right outside the city. Nobody else would do it. But I do have to ask the question, what can I do? What can you do? You know, the world's a big place, right? Where do we start? When the opportunity or the need comes up, Jesus says, do what comes naturally to represent Jesus, empowered by his love and compassion. Do what comes naturally. If you see the world through God's eyes, you'll know what that is. I just want to give a, a small example of this, um, a, a fairly recent, right before the pandemic. Andy and I were riding BART <clears throat> into the city one evening, uh, you know, dressed up and ready to go hear a concert, and a, a very young woman uh, walks onto the train and plops herself down in the bench right next to the door. She... Um, cannot control her movements of her body. She seems out of it. I think in retrospect, she was probably stoned out of her mind. Uh, she was unaware of where she was, and in this condition, she began to undress on the BART train. To skin. And... I'm watching with horror. Now, this is kind of a sexist thing to say, but I'm thinking, Andy, why don't you do something? <laughs> but I realized, no, Andy's a man. And, and it was like I saw this woman. I, I had a vision of her as my daughter in trouble. And I got out of my seat, and I went to her, and put my arm around her and I said, honey, it's not time for bed yet. Would you like me to help you get dressed? And she said, oh, oh okay. It, I mean, she literally, she was, she was not provocative other than the obvious, but she, she was getting ready for bed. She was gonna lie down and she flopped over and fell off the bench. She was that out of control. I was worried that with the next influx of passengers, she was gonna get trampled. So I helped her get her clothes back on make sure she had everything, and then she got off the train. It really shook me up. But then I realized that was Jesus at work. That, that given 
that particular moment, that was how Jesus could be present to this young woman. So that's my word to you today. Be present wherever you are and ready to bring dignity, joy, and healing to the big and the little messes that spill over around us. Help people to recognize Jesus near them. Be present in your community. Advocate for the good. Pray for the welfare of the city where you live. Keep your balloon inflated with the Spirit of God so you can stand upright in the world and apply God's wisdom and perspective to make good decisions about how you get involved. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would fill us with such confidence and courage to act at those moments when your presence will help. I pray, Lord, for openness to your spirit so that we can be guided. I pray for faithfulness to your word and your instruction to us. I pray for power from on high to be light and warmth and grace in this world in which we live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.